Hey, and welcome to The Dive. I'm Patrick Bassler. It's finally December, and you know what that means. Cold weather, lots of finals, and end of the year lists. When I was in high school, I loved reading all the end of the year lists about best albums and movies and songs so much that I started writing my own without having any place to put them. So it makes sense that when it comes time for the Diamondback to publish their end of the year list, I get really excited. So today on the Dive Extra, we're talking to some of the Diamondbacks writers about their picks for the year's best movie, TV show, and album. They're going to be some very hot takes, so be warned. But for me, there's nothing more enjoyable than someone telling you why something is the best this year, even, or especially when you don't agree. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. biggest surprises in the world of television this year was Netflix's Stranger Things. I think because it was being released on the streaming platform, the very popular streaming platform, uh, a lot of people thought it could be a hit, but no one could have predicted the cultural phenomenon that it ended up becoming. Uh, It made our best of list this year thanks to staff writer Taylor Stokes. I sat down to talk with Taylor about what made the show so good and why she chose it for her top spot. So yeah, basically uh, talking to you because you had a submission for for best TV mm-hmm. season or show of the year, uh, and you chose Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how easy was that decision for you? Um, well, okay, I don't watch a whole lot of TV, mm-hmm. but Stranger Things was like one of the only shows that I like actually binged on, mm-hmm. and so it was pretty easy. Was so. it like at right after it came out, or was it like when you saw the hype? For Stranger Things. It was like, it was like a couple, like a week after it came out that I like asked my friend, like, is it actually good? Is yeah. it worth it? And she was like, definitely go As a for key it. recommendation. I feel yeah. like with TV so much, it's like, comes down to like who recommends it to you. Right. Because if you get that key recommendation, then it's like, Then right. it's like a done deal. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I will start this segment with the Stranger Things theme song. Oh. Because that's like one yeah. of the best parts of the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but when you think of what makes Stranger Things great, essentially like why you chose Stranger Things for your choice, mm-hmm. like what are the first things that come to mind? Um, For me, I liked how, for lack of a better word, like innocent it was. Mm-hmm. Like it was focused around kids. It was a kid's like adventure story, but not being a kid's show. Right. If that makes sense. Like it was very like nostalgic childlike innocence like it was just it was nice that it was like a break from all of the like sex drugs rock and roll that you see on a lot of different shows and like yeah like i think that a lot what a lot of people liked about it is like you know this kind of like 80s kind of horror movie-ish feel did you were you like into those types of movies i mean like i when i i'm not necessarily into those types of movies but i Mm -hmm. i love like the goonies and stuff okay and like that's kind of the feel it gave me Mm -hmm. so like was there anything like that for you that it like specifically reminded you of that like you really enjoyed um 
I like period pieces. So like Dazed and Confused, one of my favorite movies, yeah. uh, that 70s show, great show. Like anything that kind of like draws back to those different time frames, I generally enjoy anyways. But like the thing about Stranger Things is they put so much detail into it. It was like, there wasn't a single thing about it that I could pick out and be like, okay, wait, that was like ahead of its time or anything. Mm -hmm. It was like completely period appropriate, which sure. was great. One of my favorite things about it was just like how comfortable I felt like with like their tropes. Like mm -hmm. it just like made me feel good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, and yeah, like you said, with the, with the kids being the main characters. But one thing we have to talk about, which I don't know if we agree on based on your blurb mm -hmm. is Winona Ryder. You felt positive about Winona. Oh, absolutely. And why? why <laughs> what about Winona are you so big on? Because I'm not big on Winona. Really? Not in the, I, I'll say this, and it's a hot take. Not in that show. Not in anything. Okay. So that's probably where the difference is. Because I, like, I'm not a huge Winona Ryder fan. Mm -hmm. But, like, I like Winona Ryder. Mm -hmm. Like, she's, I, I thought the way that she just, like, she was so desperate in that show. Like, the entire time she was just freaking out and was like completely manic the entire time right which was refreshing i guess like refreshing might not be the right word but it was just like it seemed completely real to me like right. she captured the holy shit like my son is gone that makes sense to me you she know? definitely did feel like unhinged right which like certainly makes sense mm -hmm. um two questions mm -hmm. at what point in the show, how early or how late, or is there a specific moment or episode that you realize, like, ooh, like, I really like this? Because for me, I have a very specific moment in mind, and it's, really? like, it's going to be, like, very, like, yeah, almost cliche. Mm. Um, oh, that's a very good question. Um, probably, and this is, like, a really, like, small part, but probably when Eleven was, like, having was taken in by that one dude who ends up getting killed. In the first episode? I think it was the second episode. The guy who owns the diner? Yeah. Okay. What, like, first or yeah. second episode. But, like, it was, like, so unexpected and so just, like, okay. When he gets killed? When he gets yeah, killed, Yeah, because that's right. when you're like, ooh, something's up. Yeah, yeah. like, something's wrong, okay, yeah. I need to figure it out. Like, I don't know. Eleven's, like, amazing. I love Eleven. But, um... I don't know, something about that whole interaction. Well, yeah, because that's when you like, realize, like, ooh, right, this is like, going to be, like, something going on. Right. Okay, the montage with the cover of Dave Bowie's Heroes at the end yes. of, like, what was that, episode four? Mm -hmm. I thought that was, like, I remember watching that. It was, like, 1 a.m. My roommates had already watched Stranger Things without me, so that's, okay. like, you know, tells you what kind of people they are. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, they were, like, uh, already, like, in their rooms, like, sleeping or whatever, and I, like, mm -hmm. sent them a text, like, oh, my, like... Yeah. I, like, I don't know how I feel about the show yet, but, like, all I know is, like, that was so good. Mm -hmm. um, and that was just almost, like, we talked about with, like, how comfortable you feel with the tropes. It's, like, yeah, it's not, like, artsy and, like, it might be cliche to have, like, a montage to end an episode or, like, all these things are happening, but, like, oh, I was yeah. so into it. Like, at a certain point, yeah. And I think Stranger Things is all about that. I think Stranger Things is about just kind of being, like, getting past this, like, very, like, cool millennial idea, like, ooh, that's cliche, and mm -hmm. you're just kind of, you just gotta embrace it, because it's, right. it's so brilliant, the fact that Stranger Things embraces the nostalgia and embraces that, that side of their script, because that way they can just play into these tropes, mm -hmm. um, because they're saying, yeah, that's what we're about, that's right. what the show is, like, you can't criticize us for being cliche, because that's what the show is about, and if right. you don't like that, then don't watch it, um, and I thought that's so refreshing, because too many shows are either unconsciously cliche, and that's, like, crap, mm -hmm. or, like, trying too hard to avoid it and then it gets weird you get into like right. a weird territory so yeah my next question is season two i have no idea how they'll pull it off 
or how it'll be good. Yeah. I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah. Like, I'm excited for it because it's a great show. I love it. But, like, I'm a little nervous about it. The ending was a little weird. It was. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm psyched. They already kind of announced that, like, Eleven will be back, at right. least in some capacity. So I'm mm-hmm. psyched about that. Because mm-hmm. if Eleven's out, I'm out. Yeah. No. Because, like, just to be clear, and, like, this kind of touches on one of another question I should have asked earlier, but, like, if I had to pick, like, a least favorite part of the show, it is Mike's friends. The two the two other boys. Yeah. Because, uh, what's his name? They both have moments in the show where you're just like, oh, you're annoying. <laughs> yeah. Like, but they're also middle school kids. They are middle school kids. So yeah. like, so, so yeah, that, that Stranger Things has the ability to just be like, yeah, these kids are yeah. not because they're little kids, right. you know. Uh, the big question, obviously, mm-hmm. the sister. I'm forgetting her name. Mike's sister. Oh, uh, Nancy. Did Nancy choose the right guy? Like you assume that she's gonna end up with the photographer guy, right. or the brother of the disappearing kid. Right. But she doesn't. But she doesn't. Yeah. I. Not going to lie, that was a major disappointment. Really? <laughs> yes. Um, but at the same time, like, it was ki- It was another, like, it was something that I wasn't expecting, mm-hmm. and it was kind of nice, yeah. because, like, you are expecting them to end up together, because the other guy is, like, a jerk. And a couple of nice scenes at the end yeah. where he's fighting the Demogorgon with the bat and stuff. <laughs> with the bat, exactly. And, like, um, I think Jonathan is the photographer. Yeah. Like, realistically... She probably wouldn't have ended up with him to begin with because he's right. a little creepy. Like Certainly. he's a little out there. Certainly creepy. You know? So like I liked how they didn't like it was there were undertones. It was there, but they didn't force it, you know? No. Yeah, no. Uh so that's I think that's that's it. We covered pretty much everything. Alright, thanks for taking the time yeah. to explain uh explain your choice. That was If you were at all interested in popular music this year, Frank Ocean's new album was probably the most awaited and controversial record this year. Uh, People waited a very long time for Blonde to come out, and when it finally came out, there were a lot of opinions about it. But for Josh Magnus, it was his album of the year, so I talked to him about what made the long-awaited Frank Ocean masterpiece, well, a masterpiece. And hit a solo one time. What was your... <laughs> My uh, best album of the year was Blonde by Frank Ocean. Okay, and that's kind of like a... I feel like that's been a controversial album for a lot of people because mm-hmm. it wasn't Channel Orange, but for you, what made it the album of the year? Well, at first, I didn't like it either mm-hmm. because... Well, I didn't not like it, but it kind of left me confused because... Channel Orange had been, like, one of those albums that, like, I continually listened to. It kind of was, like, the album of, like, my high school years, so... And the reason why Blonde confused me at first was because it was, like, much more subtle, and the instrumentation was a lot more... Like, there were these subtleties that you kind of... It didn't stick out to you at first. It didn't always follow, also, like, the normal song structure. Like, a lot of times, like, songs would have... Like, one track would feel like two songs split up in the middle and it kind of was disjointed at first but 
I knew, and I said this in the review when we reviewed it for the Diamondback, that I thought I would like it the more I listened to it. And yeah. it was one of those records where front to back, you listen to it with headphones and you kind of understand there's like a storyline that every time you listen to it, you take something different away from it. So I just thought it was really had a lot of depth. And also I liked how he was experimenting with these new sounds that he didn't on Channel Orange. So first of all, it's crazy that the sequel to the album of your high school years came out when you were a senior in college. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Frank, I'm, I'm still mad. No, uh, yeah, I'm pretty pissed. But I also remember like when we did review it for Diversions, like there were a lot of like differing opinions. And I remember like you gave it a good score, but also your review like read kind of uncertainly to me. Like like you liked it, but you still had these reservations about it. Mm-hmm. And did those like did those fade away the more you listen to it, or do you still have those same reservations about it as a piece of work? Um, I actually don't have those reservations really? anymore. Like, the one song, for example, Nike's, when I listened to it, mm-hmm. I liked it, but also, I actually listened to it with my parents for the first time. I was on vacation, like, the end of summer, and we were listening to it, and we were driving in the car, and my parents had never heard Frank Ocean before, but they know that I really liked Frank Ocean, because a couple nights before, Endless came out, and I woke them up, like, screaming at 2 a.m. in the hotel room. A fun story. My, my dad was happy about that. <laughs> but they listened to it, and they were like, this is awful. Like, they were like, this isn't music, because, you know, Nike's is so yeah. strange, his voice is so pitched is and stuff. Something? So, those reservations were just because it was completely different than what I expected, and when I really like an artist, I grow attached to their last piece of music, Mm -hmm. and then when they change, at first I feel like I'm mourning, almost, you know, I'm like, like, it's hard for me, because I'm, like, such, like, a fanboy sometimes, but I just think that, like, for example, um, I'm trying to think of another, White Ferrari was a song that, like, at first I felt was, like, so, like, I guess like quiet almost you know like there really wasn't that much to it and I was like waiting for a build but when I like learned to like adjust my expectations no it's funny because my dad has like a very eclectic taste in music and that's like something I always really like appreciate about him but as far as like modern stuff goes he kind of caps out at the 80s yeah that's that's like it for him that is my dad but um but actually like weirdly enough like Channel Orange was like one of the albums that like me my dad and my brother like all really liked like it was something like we throw it on the car like um, we'd like all be into it. the other one is like Black Messiah by D'Angelo like my dad really likes mm-hmm. Black Messiah by D'Angelo mm-hmm. and um, so it was like funny like when uh, Blonde came out my brother and I were like super excited we were like freaking out about it and yeah. everything and we like the couple days later we like played it for my dad in the car and my dad just like wasn't into it he's like he really liked Channel Orange a lot and he's like he's like I don't know like it's just like like he's like I always like Frank Ocean's melodies but those melodies aren't there this and, like the instrumentation's yeah. very sparse which like I think are all really valid criticisms of the album but I think there's something about Frank Ocean like as an artist where like in Blonde for me like that almost didn't matter yeah that makes sense like you know I was talking about like those two picks I had for like maybe like one of Frank Ocean's better songs or one of the best songs of the year from Frank Ocean I was thinking about like Ivy and Solo and like both of those songs are like definitely stronger for me on a lyrical level than they are on any sort of musical level like they're very simple but I just like they really make you feel something yeah. without the kind of like musical emotion that Channel Orange had yeah exactly and like Ivy I think is one of the songs that does have like the melodies yeah, most well, like it's, yeah it's very so, pretty yeah yeah no but it but like because that is one of those few songs that, like I could see like being a single yeah. if you if you know what I mean yeah. um but yeah, like Frank Ocean like really makes you feel. Another thing that I really like is I like watching him progress like with his sexuality. I thought it was so mm-hmm. interesting how in Nostalgia Ultra he was like singing about women and there like there was like these hints about like, hey, like maybe I'm not into these women. And then Channel Orange, he kind of like ended the album with 
coming forth with that. And then Blonde, he, like, came out with yeah. his sexuality. And, like, I just thought that was interesting because when I, like... If I like an artist, I want their music to be, like, a true expression of, like, where they're at mm-hmm. in that moment. And I feel like whenever I listen to Frank Ocean, like, I know how he's feeling. You you don't know everything, but you know, like, at what state of his life he's in. He's not releasing these... I don't want to, like, slander any pop star in particular, but, like, you know, these, like, pop songs that, like, always come out where, like, yeah. this is more just, like, oh, I know this will sell well. Like, for Frank, he's, like, I feel like he's in more of a like gathering from the album like a sadder more like dealing with rejection kind of place and that comes out in blonde but i just thought it was like it's interesting how i kind of like you can feel his spirit in all of his his records it's also weird it has this kind of you're right it does have this kind of like time and place feel to it it almost reads like a journal entry or something like that Mm -hmm. it's also kind of wild considering that it's like an album that was most likely you know written or like conceived of over like a four-year period so it's like it's uh it's like putting down like a lot of like time and emotion in like a very concise amount of music yeah and i think i read somewhere i don't know the exact date he wrote channel orange in like a span of like between two to six weeks like a short amount of time but i think blonde took a lot longer so i think this one definitely felt like like he has a lot of musings where he's just like he's like a sad lonely stoner and it's it's it's, he he talks a lot about like smoking and like thinking about this guy he's in love with but he can't be with and i don't know it just feels it feels authentic it doesn't feel like he was waiting for like um a moment when you look back at this album in a couple of years do you think it will how do you think it'll stand up in that like frank ocean's like progression like from nostalgia ultra to channel orange to this um i think this it well depends on what comes out next but i think this could be like his like most pensive album almost like kind of like a low point like this is like when he got because this is kind of, like, Channel Orange is what got him really famous. So yeah. I feel like this is kind of the first album post really having the fame. Because mm-hmm. before he came out, when he came out with Channel Orange, he was known. But, like, Channel Orange is what made him, like, really Frank Ocean, in my opinion. Yeah. So I think that, like, he's grappling with a lot of stuff. So I could see this definitely being, like, his slowest album. Like, this is the album you listen to when you want to have, like, Sad Frank or... Yeah. You know, just chilling with a glass of wine at night. He definitely wasn't looking to make bangers. Like he definitely wasn't yeah. looking to, you know, like have like the the big the big party song. But when when are we gonna get that big Frank Ocean? True, party true. Song? I I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for an EDM Frank Ocean. Yeah. Uh, oh god. <laughs> no, I don't. It's made me die a little on the inside. Yeah, no, I have um, no idea. No, so that'd be too ha- much. Yeah. So obviously, you you're writing about you wrote about Frank Ocean's uh, Blonde as the top album of the year, but outside of like numerical rankings how do you think blonde fits in with like the rest of the musical landscape this year um well i think especially like a lot of um artists in like r&b and hip-hop are having a much more controversial message or like political message this isn't as political but like you can look at like both beyonce and solange Mm -hmm. as examples of that as well where I think, and Rihanna's anti. I think, like, yeah. a lot of people are more embracing imperfections. You know, like, 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 a lot of these artists would overproduce their music almost, you know, to mm-hmm. have, like, these perfect vocals, these perfect melodies. They wouldn't, you know, they would want each song to have, be a follow a very certain structure. And I think that, like, experimentation is really starting to come into pop mm-hmm. music. Like, even in, even in the radio, like you hear certain pop songs trying things out. So I think this kind of shows how, like, artists are more willing to have, like, flaws in their music yeah. and release it and not be, like, afraid. Yeah. I also think it's, um... 
and this has been something that's happening in music for a long time, I think, but I also think it kind of shows a little bit of the breakdowns of those genre barriers because a lot of the instrumentation on this album is not like traditional R&B instrumentation. The vocals aren't your traditional R&B vocals. I don't think even on Channel Orange, Frank was like a real R&B crooner, but he definitely yeah. had, you know, these like kind of hip hop stylings. And then pop in there. And some pop in there. And I feel like a lot of that is like either you know gone on this album or just like melded together until it's unrecognizable yeah um, like what like what genre would you say it's a, i don't think about i think it's a pop album i do but it's like it's like indie pop but like i don't yeah it's not even really it's i think it's at its core it's like a pop album but i think there's so much stripped away from it and then like these weirder elements added so it's like almost unrecognizable as one yeah but i think if you like went back and like listen to like the demos of these songs just on guitar or piano or whatever i think they'd be pop songs you'd be, you'd be able to recognize it better yeah but i do think that um you know he just has this like kind of weirdness to him on this album that was there before but it's a lot more in focus here mm -hmm. and i think it's more in focus because the rest of the music's like a lot more out of focus hopefully it isn't another 10 <laughs> years yeah, or something say, before he drops an will, album <laughs> we will see if he tops your list in 2026 yeah yeah yep. exactly exactly all right i can't wait that long but we'll yeah. see well let's hope you don't have to true, true. all right thank you okay, cool thank you and we don't gotta be solo. Now stay away from highways. So far, 2016 has already been a pretty good year for movies. And with La La Land, Rogue One, and others still yet to hit theaters, it could get even better. I sat down with Sam Antizana, who chose Arrival as his favorite film of the year. The Amy Adams sci-fi flick has a lot more to it than what appears on the surface, and Sam and I talked about why that's so important and why it was his favorite for 2016. Sam, you chose Arrival yeah. as your best movie of the year. I didn't really expect much from it, to be honest, because I saw, like, I think one trailer beforehand, and I was just... I don't I don't even know what to be honest why I chose the movie. Mm -hmm. I was just like, whatever, let's try it out. So mm -hmm. I went to see it, and I was really blown away. Like, uh, I just... I thought it was a really, really good take on the sci-fi genre. Like, I just... Are you the, a sci-fi guy? I, I can be, but I think more when it... Okay, so, like, I love Star Wars, so I guess that's, like, something... But that's more of an epic. Mm -hmm. So, like, when it comes to sci-fi, I lean towards horror. Like, aliens, like, things like that. Right. But when it comes to, like, these types of, oh, first contact type thing, I'm like, eh, you know, I don't really buy it because it's been done so much. Mm -hmm. So, when this came out, um, I was just, like... That's the same type of thought process I had. But when I went to see it, it left an impact on me. And I, I could tell by, like, I guess people sitting next to me that it had an impact on people too because there were a lot of tears in the movie theater really yeah there were well, that's like there's a lot of press people there right because it's not just oh, a standard oh, yeah, audience yeah it's, it was like all these like journalists and stuff so and people were talking about the movie some people were saying like oh i heard good things about it and i was right. like okay like but it really left an impact on me and i think it's um in part because of the um amazing director dennis villanueva yeah i probably butchered his name but <laughs> no. well he directed prisoners yeah sicario sicario yeah. and those like two movies are so strong right right and i think like kind of what he's doing is he's like establishing himself as someone who's going to direct 
not a blockbuster, but like a big budget movie. Exactly. And I think you touched on this in your review, and I think it's so true. I mean, I saw Arrival like a week after it came out, and it's it's the fact that I like Arrival because it's a big budget movie. It's a right. sci-fi, right? But it also deals with like very like intimate themes exactly. that you would normally see more like in an indie or like a, exactly. a drama. Exactly. He's like that's kind of also how I saw because the first movie I saw from him was Sicario, and that blew my mind too. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny uh, you mentioned that because I actually didn't even like obviously now i do but um i didn't know that he directed he was directing arrival mm-hmm. so a- a- after the fact that like, i watched it and i actually looked up information on like the director i was like oh no wonder it was so right, good because right. like sicario is also something that is has been done multiple times in terms of like that crime thriller that gritty crime thriller but he brought something to it that made it really intimate which is like you know the character of benicio del toro i'm not gonna try to spoil too much about right. that but it's just like you know, like a personal, like a, a family theme, mm-hmm. like something that's like touches close to home with a crime and like the way that it takes innocent lives. But um, with Arrival, I thought it was just like um, he handled the relationships between different nations in this like cool way that I mentioned in the uh, in my uh, blurb that it's kind of relevant to the climate we're in right now because like of all the strains uh, with the new presidential election, people mm-hmm. are like, what's going to happen? Like, around the world, everyone's impacted, not just, like, us. So yeah. so it's kind of, uh, in that w- in that sense, the arrival, like, was, I guess, touched close to home because everyone was affected by it. Like, you know, the different, like, um, the visitors, the extraterrestrial visitors came in different parts of the world, not just the U.S. So it was everyone's problem or, like, every like a co- everyone had to deal with it together. Yeah. And it certainly makes you think, like, if something like this, if, if tomorrow morning we wake up to the same exact... Essentially, because that's... I mean, the beginning of the movie is so captivating. Like, the first right. 30 minutes. Right. Because it's just kind of like, boom. Like, this happened, and that's how, like, a a big event like this would happen. It's just, boom, it's here, like, we gotta deal with it, and it makes you think, like, what would happen, yeah, if it just showed up tomorrow morning, like, could we, like, deal with it the right way? And I think the answer is, like, probably not. Exactly, like, I think, I think the reactions of people, um, from the military to just, like, regular college students, which I thought, I love the scene where, like, nobody's in class, like, four or five people are in class, because that's exactly, I think, what would happen. Like, that, what he brought, what Villanueva brought to it was realism, and that's something I appreciate in sci-fi because I think there are some aspects of certain sci-fi movies or fantasy movies that take you out sometimes. But the way that he he and also the people who wrote the movie, uh, what they did so well is they fine-tuned everything in a way that is, is feasible almost. Mm-hmm. The, the only thing is that the extraterrestrials, like, we don't know how they would come or anything like that. But I really like that attention to detail. And, um, and I never was taken out of the movie. Um, right, yeah, no, that makes sense. I yeah. think one thing I don't know how to like phrase this, but one thing I enjoyed about the movie too is that, like, I mean, it goes along with what we said about how it gets intimate, but um, mm-hmm. it really balances like, because I feel like in a movie sometimes people choose, oh, this is going to be a movie that's very external, like things are going to happen, it's like a disaster movie, and the characters have to deal with it, or it's going to be a movie that's very internal, it's about one person's life, because there are big events in the sense of an alien arriving. Um, you know, on your earth, or yeah. there are big events in terms of like your life, right? You know, like like very personal events. And this movie kind of said to me those things carry the same importance because it's very much about Amy Adams's Definitely. life Definitely. by itself. Definitely, um, and yeah. that was so. I just thought that was so nice. Yeah, it was brilliantly like interwoven those two uh, ideas that you just mentioned because like it it brought like personality and it made it like it made the um the visit of the extraterrestrials personal for like with this yeah. one person but it, it's not only personal for her because obviously without spoiling anything like 
it's it becomes personal for other people yeah you know involved in the grand scheme of things and around the world also like a, a, a top military leader becomes involved in this so it's like that's that's the thing that caught me off guard about the movie mm-hmm. that that element there's almost like a supernatural element later on and that's what catches me off guard and um i like that a lot because that added that uh, like another level of depth into the movie that yeah. i think was much needed and it made it fresh because yeah. like at, at least at least with me like in my experience of seeing um sci-fi movies that's sometimes what's missing because it's more of like okay what's happening to the world instead right. of like what's happening to like sure. sync like individual humans. yeah because you gotta think like in a situation like that like everyone is gonna their life is just gonna turn upside exactly. down exactly. on a small scale but i think it should be said like especially in those like not flashback scenes but scenes where um it cuts to amy adams kind of like remembering stuff exactly um they're gorgeous i oh, mean this is a gorgeous really. movie he had a brilliant cinematographer for young was crazy. i mean sicario was a beautiful movie oh, yeah and like villain wave uh this movie also is just like visually so good and that's why i think it's this is a great movie for people to see in theaters i think Definitely. sci-fi is a good genre for theaters yeah, um and then this is a movie that like really brings that kind of like art house idea of like just beautiful visuals yeah so arrival come february you think it's gonna get that best picture nomination you know, I would hope so. I feel like sometimes... I think we need that sci-fi in there to kind of represent, if anything, like, people argue that the Oscars are not a, like, populist kind of ceremony, mm-hmm. and I think putting Arrival in there, it's not necessarily, you know, a superhero movie, but it's it's this idea that other genres Definitely. outside of your typical drama, which, like, to be fair, like, I love Oscar dramas, but, like, it, to put that in there, I think would be nice. That's, that's exactly how I feel about it, because I feel like it's been... I don't want to say it's been limited, but we know like what the Oscars, yeah. what we expect. And it would be the Oscars acknowledging, hey, you can make like capital A art in other fields, in other exactly, exactly in other genres. Because like I think one one big um, controversy, like, and since I'm again I'm a huge horror fan, like a lot of people have been complaining, like why is a horror movie never nominated? Because mm-hmm. for example, like just going back to last year, I believe it's last year or two years ago, I'm, I'm not sure. The Babadook when that came out, Oof. that was like. Uh, incredible and the, the that's lead, like a almost like a modern classic exactly like it's already e- kind of canonized exactly like the lead actress i forget her name but she she deserved i think an oscar yeah. nomination, at least for her her performance but it's like the um the uh academy it's like very difficult with their what they really consider taking into consideration and mm-hmm. like i feel like the horror genre has always been something that people don't really look to for those things yeah yeah well i mean amy adams i think has a case for, for best actress because her performance in this movie is is really solid yeah definitely it's a strong year for actresses though so we'll oh see. yeah for sure like amy adams is at the top of her game i think yeah yeah, yeah. all right well thanks for for explaining uh explaining your choice uh <laughs> of course hopefully everyone goes and, and sees arrival over over the winter break here. oh yeah definitely i mean i'm i'm gonna i'm waiting for that blu-ray release date because i'll have to pick it up i really liked it yeah i think yeah. it's one to like have in your collection definitely like, for, for a long time definitely. all right thanks man yeah no problem yeah. Good. <laughs> That's it for this episode of The Dive. A big thanks to Patrick Basler, Sam Antizana, Taylor Stokes, and Josh Magnus. This is our last episode of the semester, so I just want to take uh, this last outro to thank everyone who listened this semester for supporting this kind of new and 
uh, unknown thing. Um, we'll be back next semester with more episodes starting probably in February, so look out for that. Um, until then, have a great holiday, um, and thanks again for listening to The Dive. <laughs>